Welcome to the Focus and Chill podcast, where we discuss productivity tactics that work for neurodiverse individuals. Every episode, we interview guests with lived experience of neurodiversity who also have a solid productivity and habit game, and pass the learnings on to you, our wise and benevolent audience. We're your hosts, Jeremy and Joey. I'm Joey, and I coach creatives to get moving on their most ambitious projects through the power of solid habits and strong focus. I'm also a perpetual student of psychology and perpetually on a quest to a one-armed chin-up. And I'm Jeremy, a neurospicy software developer turned startup founder, building the Focus Bear app to help people with ADHD and autism thrive at work. My cool party trick is leaving parties early so I can get to sleep in time for my two hour long morning routine. The Focus and Chill podcast is brought to you by Focus Bear, a habit and productivity app that makes healthy habits and deep work the path of least resistance. If you have a tendency to check emails or scroll through Instagram first thing in the morning, but long to develop a meditation and exercise habit first thing, Focus Bear can help you. The app blocks distractions on all your devices and guides you through your habits one at a time. Throughout the day, Focus Bear assists you to stay in deep work by blocking websites and apps that are unrelated to your chosen focus mode. Life's not all about work though. You'll be prompted to take regular breaks to rest your eyes and stretch your muscles. At the end of the day, Focus Bear helps you switch off. Work-related apps get hidden so you can unwind and sleep well. Check out the app by going to focusbear.io. Welcome to episode number 33. We're thrilled to be joined by Adam Wright today. Adam is the co-founder of LeapN, a build-your-own metaverse platform, and MateCall, an upcoming experiential live event transforming romantic relationships as we know it. Prior to diving into the Web3 metaverse and special events creation industries, Adam thrived in TV production for over a decade, producing hits like American Ninja Warrior, Dance Bombs, and RuPaul's Drag Race. Based in Venice Beach, he stays active with workouts, fun outings with friends, and planning his upcoming event, Make Call. Welcome to the show, Adam. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. Let's kick it off by talking about your journey with neurodiversity. When did you realize you weren't neurotypical? I I had a bunch of um, interesting experiences and I just knew I was a little different from my friends uh, who loved me very much and and me them. So these aren't all ADHD related necessarily, but they are neuro atypical. Um, I had a crush in second grade on a girl. And instead of expressing that in a healthy, normal way, I, the only thing my, my brain told me to do was to lock my bicycle up to hers in the bike racks so that she wouldn't be able to leave the school premise without me like unlocking it for her. And in my head, that would not have presented any friction or or conflict. Um, and it caused her to cry and be terrified of me. And then I got a, my friend's older brother got a call from her older brother and they had just moved to town and he was like the biggest football player on the varsity team, way older than me. And I got cussed out as a uh, second grader by this guy. So. That was like a very peculiar moment, and I didn't really know what to make of it. Uh, and I can just say that I got three childhood concussions as a kid. I heard that at a resort my parents uh, were staying at around that same time that Where's Waldo was at this resort doing a book signing for the latest Where's Waldo book. And I got so excited. I jumped out of the pool. And back then, I don't think these pools were um made for health code or whatever code safety code and i did a home alone where i just sort of sprinted up this concrete slippery wet staircase and just like flipped back and fell on my skull and Whoa. and then that was concussion number 1 number 2 was sprinting full speed into a tree during a nerf war backwards with a nerf bow and arrow um, running away from so much. And then so three concussions as a kid. And I always sort of wondered if like maybe that had something to do with it. But I, I didn't really mind it. it. It made life interesting and fun, I suppose. I, I found my my thoughts to be entertaining. And um, I never really could focus enough on school material to make it a hobby. And I was much more interested in the social dynamics between different students. And I would just be more curious about that. And I would like the the types of personalities that would emerge in the different classrooms, even that of the teachers and have different um, 
exaggerated caricatures of them in my head. And I saw a movie in high school called Fight Club. And that was a movie that caused me to think like, oh, wow, maybe this is what I want to do with my life, make movies or produce them or something, because it seems to deal with the getting to tell stories about interesting characters. And maybe that's all I'm interested in. So my sisters got perfect grades. They were uh, uh, we have a close relationship. Um, My whole family does. They got really great grades and I just didn't. And I would busy myself with extracurriculars, track and field. Um, my parents had me be in the school choir to follow the footsteps of my sisters and my sisters also did golf and tennis. So they were also athletes. And I also did a play. I was a side actor in in one single play. And I remember this giving me comfort because I could lie to myself and rationalize my shoddy grades, um, as being due to being so well-balanced and not own responsibility for or, or really have to look at, okay, well, is this normal? You know, I was never diagnosed with ADHD in, in high school at all, but it was my first exposure to Adderall. And I took one in the hallway from somebody just to test to see if it would work. And I didn't care for the experience. It was just caused me to be like, mm, like look way too, the, the I took too much of it is probably the issue, but I, I didn't care for it. It wasn't really for me. And then I found myself, sitting down in a stairwell listening to the brand new kid eight album by radiohead with his adderall and i was like whoa this is life-changing music and uh i i didn't return back to adderall after that i was just ah. and then in college i learned that well now i'm i did the same pattern i i busied myself in extracurriculars i started doing a bunch of internships on different movie sets independently in the area in texas and i became active in a hotel restaurant management club because I thought, you know, this is a good safety net if nobody really makes it in film. And uh, I like fancy resorts. And I became president of a social fraternity. And I really enjoyed the experience of us being the only fraternity at the campus without a house and getting to do all these investment meeting um, events with uh, the alumni board. And and seeing them raise the money and, and watching us get like going from no house to the biggest house on campus uh-huh. um, and getting to live in that room. It was just sort of like it was really cool. And I got to go to my friend's bigger university and party with them at like fifty thousand dollar party builds that probably weren't up that code at all, which is how it was back then. It was just so fun. And um, I had probably way too much fun partying in college and the pattern became waiting last second and like slamming in Adderall the night before an exam and then taking my exam and trying my best at it. And it led to me having to bribe a lot of professors or in my own head, that's what I was doing at least um, last second and, and figure out gifts to give them so I could just, you know, get by. I ended up getting a 3.01 uh, GPA, which isn't awful. It's it's okay. and. Uh, an internship I was doing in downtown with a couple of serial entrepreneurs who had been executive producing a a movie. I, I built the courage at the rap party to ask him if I could work with them full time. And they said, if I agreed to move my bed into their downtown loft office, then <laughs> then I could work with them. And there's some of my favorite people in the world to this day. We're still friends. Um, they reminded me of like these adult Adam Sandler types kind of. And every belief system I had of what the professional world would be, they kind of shattered that illusion. And I saw what people who just have fun and and make cool stuff and put it out into the world, into the marketplace uh, do. And it was awesome. And I was in love with it and I worked with them for a couple of years. And then I ended up getting a job in, in Los Angeles. And this is, I guess, what I'm coming to. I learned I was neuro, really neurodivergent when I saw how... When I was essentially working with college graduates from from Ivy League schools, from some of the just tougher schools to get into that I could have never gotten into with my high school grades and working aside them and noticing that I would allow a lot of stuff to slip through the cracks. That would be a consequence to my uh, my boss. And then I never thought anything of it. I kind of just ignored it. But it became a thing. And 
I, I kind of had to own the fact at that stage that, well, you know, I hate Adderall and I see it as like this bad thing, but I need something, you know? So if it's not that, I need to figure something out. And ultimately my boss made the decision that, you know, you're not for the corporate side, but you'll be great at like producing content where you can talk a lot and tell other people what to do. And you're not having to let things slip through the crack because they're able to spot you. So I started that and did that for over 10 years. And, uh, it's a long-winded answer. I love that you you were able to find something that really worked with your strengths and that all the, all the things that you were doing beforehand in high school and university, all the, the clubs and the fraternities that you were involved in, that probably set you up for what you were doing, what you have been doing now. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And what is that you've, you've found something that you can do that you enjoy and that you're good at? Yeah, I wanted to share something when I was looking up the word neuroverse, uh, neurodiversity. So when I looked up the neurodiversity, the word neurodiversity a few moments before the call, I saw a few things that I didn't know that I have in addition to ADHD. One of those is called dyspraxia. And I had never heard of that before. And I think there are more common words that are synonyms for it, or I don't know if they're exactly synonyms, but procrastination to me fits with difficulty with planning. And I wanted to know, are you, do you, do you have that as well? Or which of these do you have on the greater neurodiversity um, spectrum? For me, autism and ADHD are the the main two that mm. I, the, the dyspraxia and some of the other dys ones, I may have some of them too, but haven't really dived deeply into that. There's quite a lot of variations there. And it feels yeah. like lays the onion. You keep learning more about yourself. There's nothing in school built to sort of look out for these things within kids and, and get them help. Yeah, at yeah. least when I was at school, and it sounds like when you were at school, there wasn't really much awareness at all. Nope. Is there now? I think it, in Australia, at least, there's a, a lot of awareness now. And they're much oh. better at picking up some of the more subtle signs. Because I think in the past, say with ADHD, it would only be picked up if you were super hyperactive. And now the inattentive side is more made aware of. Do you feel like when you were a kid, were you relatively, it sounded like the way that you were observing the social dynamics that you probably weren't creating havoc in the classroom or anything like that? You might have been. Making havoc in the classroom? Yeah. I was a very loving kid. Hmm. And. I'm sure I had my moments, but at a very healthy level, Mm. there, there certainly wasn't any, I think I may have gone to the principal once. Mm. Um, I did realize that I had a superpower, a really bizarre superpower of, you know, I noticed, I I just thought of ways to try to entertain everyone in non, non-direct ways, I guess. And the best example is probably the first time I, I did it. And it was just an impulse. It was like, a character strength, just a weird one, man. But there's this one dude in kindergarten who was just really likable. Everyone liked him in the class and he was a super nice person. So he, he warranted all of it and he liked playing checkers. And so I started antagonizing him in front of everyone and and just said, you know, you really suck at checkers or whatever the kindergarten version of that was (laughs) and just becoming a villain because I didn't really have that strong of an identity uh, I don't think anyone really does in kindergarten. Maybe a few kids stand out, but I saw it as an opportunity to, okay, if everyone likes this, uh, and if this guy doesn't have a foil, and I don't know what I was inspired by, maybe Batman with my dad or something like that. Um, but I, I started um, antagonizing him in this like acting way where I didn't really mean it, but I was acting sincere about being a jerk to him. Mm-hmm. And then it led to this big checkers match and the whole classroom wanted to watch it. And <laughs> I saw that that was interesting. I didn't know what it meant or what it was. I was just like, huh, that was kind of cool to be a source of of light for everyone. Because I could draw attention and then have an entertainment event. And then the antagonist would lose the checkers match. And I knew I was going to lose already. I wasn't going to checkers. <laughs> um, and then everyone would be like, yeah, you know, excited about it. So that I just different things like that. Um, allowed me to know that I was a little different. And then I fell in love with Andy Kaufman, the performer, and 
Uh, he did a lot of that kind of stuff at a higher, bigger, um, more epic level. Hmm. And, uh, and yeah, I was just never really, my friends really appreciated that about me, but I just never really was, was like them at all. Well, I think that feeds very well into what you're doing now in terms of the special events with Mate Cole and also Lee. Lee Penn, do you want to tell us a bit about what you're doing there? So Mate Cole, um, the the creator of Mate Cole is this longtime friend of mine named Napoleon, who lives in Los Angeles. And it has been his passion for, he's been talking about it for over a year and working on it. And I was sort of having a tough time with with Leapin. I had um, been in heavy, heavy denial that our company wasn't generating profit anymore. You know, we did really, really well. And then we spent all our earnings essentially building out the platform with no industry experience with how expensive video games were and no foresight that this um, bull market mania cycle of the bull market period would ever end. So just immaturity with how markets work. And, you know, we didn't do well. We didn't perform well. We didn't market well for a launch. And then just slowly, like, you know, went downhill. And I didn't want to look at it. I didn't want to face it. In my head, you know, in due time, things will turn around. It'll be fine. And it never, never did. So I needed to get a job anyway. And I just started to look for jobs when my I got an email from my friend and then we met and we talked about his event and I fell in love with it too. It's about in a nutshell doing, you know, the, the, um, if, if you've been, have you been to America, Jeremy? I have to San Francisco and Texas. What part of Texas? Austin. Oh, Austin's amazing. Um, the dating scene in Los Angeles, and I've heard it similar in New York. It's either, I don't know, there are plenty of people that meet somebody on an app and like fall in love and live happily ever after, you know, that's far and few though, I think. And I think a lot of people remain going on dates and just not really finding anyone. And I've always sensed that, you know, being included in that, uh, heap of people, I've always sensed that there was something more to it. And I've always sensed that. It's kind of like um, maybe I have to take responsibility that I'll attract and attain uh, what I am. And if I am not in full alignment with my goal to if I'm not setting it on a value based system, if it's too fantasy driven and not realistic, there's there's several reasons why I may not end up uh, getting a, a woman that I can fall in love with and date and you know, and marry and stuff. And I did a lot of inner work through, I'm in 12 step recovery in LA for alcoholism. And I did a lot of inner work through that program. And I learned a lot of things about me I had never even realized. And what it taught me is that there is inner work that can be done that can correct some of, um, or at least bring awareness to, to one's um, dating efforts so that the swiping on apps culture uh, doesn't have to be such a negative thing because the people I think do know what they want. They don't have a negative experience with the dating apps and they end up meeting somebody cool and they call it a day. And it doesn't need to be this, this thing that brings about negative thoughts. If you look mm-hmm. at the statistics, which I, I looked at the statistics, I, um, I did the pitch deck for the event. Um, over 50 people who use these things are lonely and they get anxious and impressed after using them. And I don't, I mean, just saying that out loud to me, it sounds kind of like, okay, well, if they have anxiety and depression, if they have general anxiety, um, any form of, of uh, depression diagnosis, then of course they're going to feel that way after they use the app. So I don't know if the people interviewing the sample kept any of that into account, but I guess all I do know is that there's a lot of inner work I feel that should be done in conjunction with, with trying to bring someone into your life. And this event is is bringing that to light. And not only that, but guiding people through what that looks like. And there are a lot of really cool keynote speakers that we have in legal right now and are working on closing deals with to help guide people through these things. So we feel like it's a first of its kind event. Um, I'm really proud to be a part of it. And I'm really proud to know this guy who had this beautiful idea and to get to work together with him. And 
you know, I feel like it'll help a lot of people. So we're excited about it. Hmm. So it's the idea that people would come if they're single and they they know that they need to do some work on themselves. Sort of be a combination of personal development and also an opportunity to potentially meet people who are on the same trajectory. Yeah, yeah. It's just it, it's an event that brings together like minded individuals who are into spirituality, into wellness. And, you know, there's dating coaches and all that as well. But we don't want it to to read like a singles event because nobody goes to those. Um, it's a recipe for zero people coming. <laughs> so it's it's to us, it's like this really cool, insightful, um, informative uh, conf- two day experiential conference with like uh, where you get to see some of your favorite thought leaders um, in the world on these subjects uh, do things a little different. You know, it's not a normal or ordinary keynote speech. Um, it's experiential and they're doing a lot more crowd work than normal. And perhaps they're not just on a static stage the entire time. So we're really looking to make this an interesting event. And we feel like it's going to draw a lot of sponsors too, being that we're working hard on the production of it and to make it pop so that people are like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll come to this because it's not like a, um, a speed dating event or something like that. Um, there's one speaker coming who's running a, a dating dojo uh, experience just all these weird things that I don't even know what some of them are I'm having to learn about them I'm like wow I kind of want to do that am I going to be allowed to do that and I'm realizing just that innocent interest I have uh, I'm hoping that propagates and that other people really get to come to this and check it out so awesome. I'm excited about it I'm promoting it uh, right now probably a little too much but yeah when is it it's uh December 16th and 17th cool and that's uh, a weekend, is it? It is a weekend, yeah. Saturday and Sunday. Cool. Saturday and it, Sunday. So we're yeah, we're fans. we're right. We haven't even started promoting yet, by the way. We're we're doing um uh, we wanted to be really planned out and then sort of like go on an all on attack and make sure that we have the strongest marketers in the game uh running it. So that's what we're doing. Awesome. And how about when you're oh, not working? I'm learning a ton too, by the way. It's really cool. Disclaimer, I do not represent Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm just a happy member. Through the 12-step recovery, I can be humble and I cannot think that I know how to do everything the best and not desire strong, impactful, effective team members as opposed to in the past, I think I would have been like, oh, we don't need anyone else and try to do everything by myself, I think. Wherein now it's beautiful working with this Napoleon friend of mine because he's already on that wavelength and we might end up getting to work with this one event planner who does events at the United Nations and just like only really does huge high level celebrity and, you know, events like that. And what we're discovering is that because of the unique nature of the event and it not being like uh, any other event, we're able to attract uh, bigger talent on that front because they're like, oh, this will be interesting. And I don't know, man. I, I am loving it a lot more than I thought I would. I can tell you that. So I feel really blessed to uh, get to be doing this. Fantastic. So you, you've got this very immersive event that you're planning. Are you? Is it still the same as that very first job that you had where you had to put your bed into the loft office? Are you working 24-7 or have you got other hobbies as well? <sighs> so I um, am getting better at not working 24-7. I did a... Um, I read a book recently on, well, I didn't read it. I audibled a book um, called Winning the Week. And I had started getting targeted by these by this dude with like long curly hair, weird Al Yankovic hair even, um, on Instagram. And it wasn't, he didn't vibe like the obnoxious marketers that I'll get ads from. And I liked the message of it. And I was like, I still ignored it for a month or so, but they're so consistent with their marketing and retargeting and everything like that i found myself curious after a while i think i watched uh one of those you know webinars uh that he did and i really liked the guy i was like dude this guy's definitely i know i'm getting targeted by his ads and i ended up watching the webinar long story short they're the authors of this wall street best-selling book called winning the week and it preaches only account only planning for 10 tasks a day one of them being a big task that it take an hour or two 
four medium tasks that are 30 minutes a pop or 40 minutes a pop, and then five small tasks that are 10 or 15 minutes a pop. And anything that falls outside those bounds, you're just not going to have time to do it. So you get to triage your tasks as they come. And that enables you, or I'll just speak in terms of me, that enables me to, to get more honest with myself and realize, yo, I'm not going to be able to do this anyway, because I don't want to burn the midnight oil anymore. That's not worked for me. And I, I want more balance in my life. So it has enabled me to tell people when, in fact, they can expect it from me so that I am never letting anyone down by telling them one thing and in not doing that and, and you know, giving it to them a week after when I think it'll it'll land in their lap. So as somebody with ADHD is neuro, neurodiverse, it's kind of a godsend. Uh, it makes me structured and I've never felt structured before. So what was the question? Well, that, that was great. That was a way that you optimize your productivity and you're touching on how it means that you don't have to burn the midnight oil. So what do you do when you're not, you're not working now? Do you? I think you mentioned you've got a, a few things that you're doing. You stay active with yeah. workouts fun outings yeah. with friends. What are yeah. the, the things you do for fun? So I was working out every day and then I stopped. And now I'm on this fake it till you make it thing where I'm just saying like, I work out every day when in fact, um, I just got back into it. And there was a long stretch of time where I only worked and I didn't. And I was on the verge of burning out again, you see, because I worked 100 hour weeks on leaping and I saw the outcome of that. And while we did have our, our moment and we did do really well, um, it didn't end well, you know, and that's not because I worked a hundred hour weeks, but it just taught me that, you know, there, there are a lot of people in the web three space that were doing those hours. So it's not that there's anything wrong with those hours. It's just that there are probably other people who weren't doing those hours and came out more successful than us. So it can't just be long hours that lead to success. There have to be other things about it too. And I wanted to learn about those other things. Um, so, um, Working out, uh, now that I've learned about those things and realized balance needs to be a part of my life, um, working out, um, getting back into dating slowly, because I, I think I did a bunch of inner work and now I'm ready to test it in the field, and doing something creative every week, and just buying different kinds of, of these 30-day journals that they have. There's so many, the journal business is popping now. Um, you go on Amazon and look up journal, there's going to be 50 different types. They have a burnout journal I looked into last night hmm. that help, helps you prevent even coming close to burnout. And uh, they have ones about life and balance and trying new things. So I, I enjoy that kind of thing. And it gets me off of my phone. It gets me off the computer. And I can start my day doing like a five minute journal prompt, which I actually use Focus Bear for that. You know, um, there are so many good things about your app. When can we talk about your app? Because I don't want to get get ahead of myself. Maybe as part of optimizing productivity, but great to hear that it helps you to journal. It helps me with that too. Yeah. The, the creative things that you're doing, doing something creative every week that's off your phone. Yeah. So, you know, I want to get really abstract with it. I, 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 um, I've had this thought in my heart lately that anytime... I'm getting targeted by ads by a bunch of different people who have tools to, to do this thing. Like we can make it easier for you. And if it's something creative, like making a video or just anything like that, that has played out to me and it's no longer interesting and it's no longer on the cutting edge and it's no longer, I get to be a pioneer. I, I need to be a pioneer or something. And I need that technology, just like in blockchain. Um, I need there to be so many barriers of entry that I, I, I get to, uh, circumnavigate around and figure out like a puzzle and an obstacle course almost. So that is what I've realized lately. So how will that translate into the the creative uh, outlets I do? Um, that's the good news is that I don't really know. Um, but I do know that none of my ideas ever make sense. And that's why I have so much fun with them. And I, I'm not like looking to monetize any of them. So I know something will probably be monetizable because of that. Hmm. Yeah, not beginning, so, just trying to optimize the people buying it, but doing it because you enjoy it. And it's a yeah, and I exactly. And I know that I don't want for a while during COVID, especially, I was definitely like, okay, you know, metaverse, metaverse. But I have been valuing nature a lot more lately. And 
I don't want any of these artistic expressions to have to involve like a Raspberry Pi or anything tech related at all. So I'm interested in seeing what kind of fun I can have with just nature itself. And that's, I guess, the end of it. And it makes it more of an adventure too. I think for me, it's really paralyzing playing on the computer because it gives me this false illusion that like I have God mode. I have eyes on anything and everything I want. And therefore, I just sort of become like paralyzed in, you know, I lose touch of gr- with gratitude. I just nothing is like a mystery to me anymore because I'm a Gemini who can type 90 words a minute. So I can just look everything up super fast and look at stuff on Google nearly as fast as I can think it. And it's exhausting. And I've wanted to pull back from that lately. Hmm. Final question on this, given that you live in Venice Beach and you're enjoying being in nature do you get to to go to the beach or is I have been to to LA as well and I think I remember Venice Beach being relatively large. Are you close-ish to the the water? Yeah, man. I, I don't go as much as I should. I go once every three weeks on average. And I have a ritual there where I learned it. Um I used to go to Kabbalah in Los Angeles. That there's a Kabbalah center, and you've probably heard like Madonna and just all these like oh, yeah. <laughs> people like that used to go there. Um, but, um, a partner I had on a documentary I did, he and his wife swore by it and I loved them. They were just so cool. And so they paid for me to go. They were like, just try it. We'll, we'll treat you to it. I'm like, really? And so I tried it and it's so amazing. Just all this cool wisdom. But the, the dude who does the little lectures had a bunch of us over at his house and he lives on the water in Malibu and he he showed us what he does every weekend or every morning, actually. And he dunks himself under the ocean 20 times. And he's like, yeah, it's like something about doing it like this. It just makes me feel like I just had a rebirth and I can just see everything. Any, any, any negative feelings I had are just done. They're gone. They're gone. I don't even think about it. anymore. It's like a beautiful bath for the soul. And we, we all did it. And I definitely agreed. And I was like, wow, I'm going to start doing this in Venice. So that's what I do once every three weeks. I, I dunk myself underwater for 20 times. I laugh like a child and I get out and I feel brand new. Nice. Yeah, I've been trying to do something similar myself. I'm relatively close to the, the beach, but it, it's very cold, the water here. I imagine it, oh. it's relatively warm all year round in LA, is it? Yeah. How cold's your water? It gets down to, I'm trying to translate it to Fahrenheit, probably 40 Fahrenheit, around about My 10 goodness. degrees Celsius. That's intense, man. So yeah. you live in Australia, right? Yeah. Where where in Australia? In Melbourne, in the south. So it, oh. in summer, it's okay. But we're in winter right now. So it's I haven't quite been brave enough to do the cold water immersion. I'm hoping to build up to that. I love kangaroo videos on Instagram and YouTube where humans... Where, I think kangaroos are terrifying, by the way. After they, seeing these videos, they can disembowel a human. Yeah. So how do you know... Have you ever pet one and stuff? Uh, I mean, you know, they've got a a few conservation centers where you can, but we don't see them that much in the suburbs where I live. It's more out in rural areas where they'll be. They're kind of like our height. And I think that's what makes them especially uh, intimidating. And Mm. they look like they can think and that they're capable of being loving and like running that full gambit of emotions. And then they start trying to beat your ass. And it's like really confusing for me. So <laughs> I've pet some at a um, at a zoo in Dallas that had a bunch of different wildlife. Mm. And I was like, these are amazing. Look, kangaroos. And then I started seeing these videos pop up about Aussie kangaroos. Mm. Um, anyway, yeah. tangent, tangent over. They're, they're the real deal. <laughs> yeah, they are. Okay. So the, the opposite of the tangent, talking about having something consistent and regular each day. Do you have a, a morning routine that you follow? has a um, over time i'm working i'm an inconsistent uh mess um endeavoring toward consistent rituals both that morning and evening and when i am my best self um and i do the i have the discipline and self-will to wake up and do those rituals those are by far my best days and there's this really small unforgiving part of me who misses the chaos and you know i'm learning more and more to uh to mute myself from from listening to it and doing what it says um because it it's 
that's the unreliable unreliable narrator part of me where you know I, I i get so attracted to the chaos of whatever sort of chemicals are unleashed in me when i get to wait last second and then and then do something and like have to feel like okay um i have to pull together and i have five minutes and feeling like i'm jumping into something naked like that is almost an adventure to me so hmm. I, need to, I need to have real life adventures so that i don't seek that kind of an adventure because um if that makes sense so consistency yeah, totally makes sense yes consistency for me means waking up early in the morning and doing i have like some prayers i do i started going to church again recently just because i missed that ritual of childhood uh there's a non-denominational one in the area that has a bunch of people around my age and everyone's really cool um the pastor i think used to be a, a venture capitalist uh and he's out of london um and they always have these circuit speakers come through and it's just unbelievable and uh the coffee and donuts don't don't make it any worse right no um so i i do that on sundays i have some prayers i do in the morning that just help me get out of self and like helps me flow a lot better through the day with removing myself like that and i try to do a spiritual passage of some sort doesn't necessarily mean the bible sometimes it does sometimes there's like some kabbalah books i like reading and um other times it's just anything really um dr joe dispenza just anyone like that they're all great then doing kettlebells and not like a full-out workout in the morning i like doing workouts at noon um but in the morning it, it gets me feeling good when i can do 10 and then going on a walk and then making myself some coffee and eating an avocado and a banana um to me that's a great morning and then after all that sitting down and planning the day with pen and paper and time blocking things before i even look at tech that is my ideal day so there's a difference between my ideal day and what happens and i can tell you as soon as i wake up if i start looking at my phone and doom scrolling through TikTok or instagram or just anything my trajectory for the day is going to be a lot worse than otherwise so i try to be disciplined and uh and that's it in nighttime um i've been sleeping like a baby recently and i don't know man part of being an adult that's so fun that you know i'm I, I turned 40 i think i said is being feeling at peace and not feeling fear of missing out from being somewhere like at a restaurant or a bar or a club and there's so much freedom in that and enjoying the act of laying down with a good book and then reading myself to sleep is a gift i never thought would be a gift at all um so i i keep my nighttime ritual pretty simple and pretty just relaxed so that i can really go to bed mm -hmm. i was going to bed at 9 p.m every night for a while and i really love that because it would enable me to wake up early and lately i've been waking up midnight and 1 p.m or 1 a.m and so what i'm trying to do is get back on that 9 p.m sleep time schedule like all my buddies who have kids and a wife uh tend to do and then wake up really early and i can get from the hours of 4 a.m to 8 a.m or 9 a.m i can accomplish a 10 day a, a 10 hour workday easy hmm. um and Without all the distractions it, and other people bothering you well it's more than that it's just the energy of everything around um i i feel it i feel it and i sense it without knowing how the science of it works and if cars are in motion outside if the birds are chirping if the sun's out i'm more in social mode and i don't feel like i was built to be at a desk doing stuff so i got to do the desk stuff almost before the sun comes out that makes a lot of sense what time does the sunrise at the moment is it say around 7 a.m yeah probably and then after that happens hmm. i have a good hour or two max where hmm. and then my body just sort of revolts yeah i think i'm the same there's something about working when it's dark that makes it feel easier to do the really deep focused work yeah and, and also do you feel like we were really as biological creatures were we born to sit at a desk no no way no. so i think that it's probably um biology that's you know gut instinct or whatever it is that is pulling us in a different direction and then in my head at least i feel really stuck i'm like well i can't just do that because i have to work and that's why i have to get that self-will to wake up at 4 a.m so i can do all the stuff i gotta do and then take a nap if i need it 
before I start doing the stuff my body wants me to do throughout the day, which is working out, having conversations that lead to actions and manifest things that I want in my life and stuff like that. Hmm. I love that. So is a nap something that you do most days? Oh yeah. Every day, every day. I, I didn't need to see, I was never a nap person until maybe, I don't remember when, but I want to say like sometime through COVID is when I started needing naps and I don't know why that was, um, but now I do them every day and I do, sometimes it's either a nap, other times it's a, like a hypnotherapy session that I'll just find on YouTube for free. Hmm. And those to me are so fun. And I, I don't like just one person. I like hearing different people every time, um, but hypnotherapy sessions are great. And then I can lie to myself and tell myself I'm having a productive power nap when in fact, I'm not listening to the hypnotherapy really. I'm just letting that soothing voice sort of let me drift off. Yeah, I find the same. And a nap is a form of break, which is perfect because we're about to take a quick break. Hello there, this is Joey. I'm excited to tell you about a project I run where I help imaginative people just like you breathe life into their creative dreams, like writing that book or performing that stand-up comedy set. I know the first step can be daunting. I have been there many times and have helped many people on a similar journey. If you've wondered how to bring those ideas swimming around in your head to life, get in touch. We'll shrink the intimidating dragon of a goal into a cute little lizard of an achievable daily habit that you can do every day to get started and stay moving. Click on the link in the show description to get in touch. We're back from our break and we're going to do some power answers for the remaining questions. So starting off with Adam, what's one habit you'd like to remove from your life? I want to remove the habit of succumbing to entertaining thoughts, which takes me off of the path I charted for my day. And I look at these thoughts like um, in the Odyssey, there are the sirens that drift him off his path mm. and, and they distract me. And these thoughts lead to other thoughts and it's just quicksand of thought. And then next thing I know, there are a bunch of things I wanted to do and didn't end up doing. And it makes me feel guilty. So that's the habit I want to quit. But a difficult one to, to deal with at the thought level. Do you have tactics that you can use around that? Just trying more and not. So um, I have I have a life coach I'm working with who just finished. Uh, there's a coaching certification that's really fancy. And and he has had some incredible insights just hearing me speak. And he says in a nice way, he says this. I've done enough Sherlock Holmes work in terms of identifying character defects and how that how those stem to childhood core wounds and um, why I am the way I am. And he's really encouraging me to architect the future version of myself that I want to become and start journaling to that future self and form that channel of communication so that I can aspire to the values I want to reach and not really get caught up thinking about the things I'm not great at. Love it. Okay, next question. What resources, which could be books, philosophies, apps, sensory toys, or anything else, do you find most helpful for productivity and habit formation? You mentioned the the book Winning the Week before. Any others that you'd recommend? Just the act of body doubling is really helpful for me. And that can mean going to a meeting of any sort that has to do with something that you needed to get better at or you need in your life. And that could mean a business model club or whatever kind of club or meeting um, I find that is something I am lacking and I need. Um, I try to do an in-person version of it because there's something unreplaceable about being around other souls that is great as all these new apps are. Um, I'm thinking of one where you actually get to work with other people in a giant like Zoom meeting and I love what they do and that it's great. Um, in person's just more effective for me because something about it, I don't know. I don't wanna try to ramble on about it. So that's a tool for me. Um, Focus Bear is a huge tool for, for the morning. And I want to work with you, Jeremy. Um, I'm trying to use this podcast as leverage to do so uh, in a manipulative way so that I can like learn some of your setup strategies because I, I want to get better at setting it up for daytime tasks as well as like a nighttime ritual. And what I found is that I'm fairly consistent with the morning ritual of it. And whenever I do the focus bear stuff, I am also in love with my day. And I have a crush on the yoga instructor. 
<laughs> whoever <laughs> does this video, she's she's great. Um, she's and, married. <laughs> oh, you know, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, how could she not be? So just all of it. And even like, who's the dude? I thought that was you at first. Who's the dude that like after you do the morning journaling, he's sitting on the little water fountain edge and he just like smiles at the camera like you you did a good job journaling i was journaling too like where do you find these videos they're great you know and it it gives me that body doubling that i need to feel like i'm not alone and the world is really lonely even pre-covid and especially during covid and even after covid and we're trying to i think for me i'm trying to get out of loneliness and your focus bear helps me with that and then asana is something new and i can't recommend asana unless you really uh, know how to use it. And I, I I purchased a course. It was uh, 200 bucks. Uh, it was called Asana Mastery. And it was through the one of the founders of the like the Life Hack Club that I am a paid member of um, launched this Asana course independently of that business. And I, I bought into it. And uh, I really fell in love with Asana because the way they tell you to do it is that Asana doesn't try to be everything like something like ClickUp does. Um, it's really only for tasks and it's really on, only to be used in conjunction with your calendar. And to, to re-perceive those things as being your time supply and your time demand. Um, so once you realize that your supply, which is your calendar, you can only really do those 10 tasks that we talked about, then you get to... Uh, triage a lot of stuff out of your task list and move those to the following week or delete them all together and really get in alignment with what your goals are and and basing your tasks around it. So I am a student for life. I'm always growing and learning and, and improving. So there will never be a perfect, you know, system for me. Um, and that's part of the fun and getting to discover all these different methodologies and try them all out. Hmm. Love it. Uh, and the other thing I like about Asana, aside from what you shared, is I love those animations when you complete a task and it'll have a, a unicorn fly across the screen or something like I that. I know. I, I love that too. It's so fun. And there's a there's another app called Twos that I was using before I discovered Asana. And something about it reminds me of early days of Discord before Discord went got like really popular after uh, the pandemic. I really appreciate what they're doing. However, I get a little too distracted by, I don't think it's like great for my ADHD. And I think Asana, I can, I can organize it to where I only see what I need to be seeing. And mm. um, so I, I moved away from twos temporarily, and I'm sure they'll build that feature eventually. Um, there's like an ex-Googler that does it. And if Focus Bear syncs with Asana, then that'll probably be my, um, you know, my lifelong uh, pairing. Yep, working on it. No, no pressure. By the way, I, I know <laughs> you do a lot, so I know you got a big list of. Uh, how how is your customer feedback? By the way, the feedback is mainly we need a mobile app, so that's the the team is working on that and nearly done. We just have this issue at the moment with iPhone where it's when it blocks apps, it is moving them out of people's folders, and that's very disorganizing. So we we need to fix that. And then we'll be able to publish it far and wide. So no one enjoys using the, the desktop app because they're always on the go or what? Oh, some people do. Yeah, we, we have about 30 users on the desktop app. And I I do find it, I'm mainly a desktop user. So I basically built the app for myself being more desktop focused. And now we're realizing yeah. that it needs to be more multi-device. Yeah, man. Um, I see you guys doing amazing things. I'm really shocked that there are, the number is 30 of, of desktop users. Um, I feel like once you're, you're going to end up manifesting a strong marketer who's going to get it and get you and really get what you're doing and see the power in it. And then it's really going to be off to the races. Like you guys, you're going to be blown away when that happens and it's going to happen. And you're going to end up like overload of customers and you're going to be hiding under your bed because you're going to be uh -huh. so happy, happy and anxious, equal parts. <laughs> All right. Okay, I'm I'm scared but excited. Final two questions. Yeah. Where can people connect with you? I am pretty easy to find. I don't really um okay, so I'm not a social media dude anymore. There was a period of time where 
I was really active in all of it, but I'm available in all of it. And I don't, you know, I chat with people. I'm pretty easy to get a hold of. Um, I'm getting better at compartmentalizing when I do that kind of kind of stuff. And there's something I learned through the Winning the Week book called Setting a Communication Policy. Um, and they have a really formal approach um, because it's targeted to their customer base. But I'm thinking about having something set up like that for, for non-customers who are just like like-minded souls who reach out. And all it's going to do is auto-respond with when I check my stuff so that they can know that they can have certainty knowing that I do care to engage and I, I tend to check those things at this time of week. Um, because if I get caught in, in that, then everything in my life just gets off of balance. Like I have no boundaries with it and I have an addictive personality. So I have to really watch myself with that stuff. So I think the best thing for me is to just like cut it down to an hour. Oh, I don't know. I'll figure it out. Hmm. But anyway, I didn't even answer your question. So Instagram, Twitter, whatever. It's I think my handle is Adam Leapin. So A-D-A-M-L-E-A-P-N. Pretty sure that's my handle. LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, uh, TikTok. um, You know, it's pretty simple to get a hold of me and anyone else in this world. And that's why that's the great thing of uh, social media. Hmm. And I'll grab some links off you later and put them in the show notes as well. Sure. Final question. Do you have any words or asks for our audience? What what kind of asks have your past guests done? Well, it could be something like be true to yourself, some kind of wisdom, as well as come to the event. I think there may um, be some I would say Los Angeles. Oh, you know, yeah. I mean, if you're single and you live in LA, there's no reason why you wouldn't want to be at our event. It's going to be so much more valuable than the time you spend swiping people. I'll tell you that. And you're going to meet way cooler people because we do attract the spirituality crowd and people who are into self-growth and the killer, the speakers are are killer. Um, Just getting to hear some of these phone calls we're having with them and participate and meet them. um, They're incredible people. So it's going to be a badass event. Um, As far as telling, I can't tell anyone else um, what to do, but I can tell them what I'm challenging myself to do. And that is getting, trying to stay out of like self-identity as much as possible and trying to endeavor toward service, adventure, and no, no identity, no identity, no identity politics for me at least. Um, And instead focusing on love, adventure, and, and being helpful to other people is uh, I think a good message that I myself, those are values I'm trying to really focus on. Love it. We'll wrap the show with that. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Focus and Chill podcast. To listen to other episodes, jump onto podcast.focusbear.io. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or you know someone who'd be a good fit, email us at team at focusbear.io. Otherwise, stay focused, stay chilled and peace out.